Welcome to the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. I am Vicki and I'm here today with Wayne and we are going to talk about one of our projects that we've been working on called State of Youth and we are going to talk about the healthcare portion, specifically things, issues around HIV in South Carolina. Um, also, happy Earth Day, Wayne. We are recording on April 22nd. It is indeed. And um, so happy Earth Day to you out there as well. So we're going to do a little check-in. It's just going to be you, me, me and Wayne here, So, but we're still going to check in. And so I guess our question today is, what is your favorite place to go that is in nature? Ooh. Favorite place to go in nature? I just like to be around trees. Same. So parks, if even if I get to go to the woods, um, mm-hmm. that's great. So yeah, definitely um, just being being in a place like just surrounded by yeah. it. And I, for me, I love the mountains um, and waterfalls and, and also trees up there. I like to go hiking in the upstate. Uh, I did college at Clemson University, and there is a ton of great hiking around there. And one of my favorite places is the Oconee State Park. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of a lake there. There's You can hike out to a waterfall. Um, it's just one of my favorite places to go in South Carolina. I, I like be- the beach, too. Um, I am not a beach hater, but I do prefer the mountains. And you just like wherever there's a tree. Have you seen Angel Oak? No, I don't know what that is. Okay. So Angel Oak is on James Island in South Carolina. And it is a very old tree that is just gorgeous and beautiful and worth the drive down to see it. So if you like trees, that's what I'm telling you to do. Okay. Yeah, Um, I've only been to James Island like a few times. And I think it's James Island. I went down there um, for a women's retreat one time with the church I was attending I I saw it on my way back and I regret nothing um as you should yeah yeah so all right uh let's let's get back on topic we're going to talk about the state of youth Mm health care in relation to HIV um Mm -hmm. the reason we're doing this in the month of April is that April 10th was national uh youth HIV and AIDS awareness day yeah so that's Great news, and we, we want people to understand that this is still an issue. Very much, very um, much so, especially in, especially in South Carolina, given that Columbia itself and Richland County, uh, you know, still rank pretty high consistently mm-hmm. in terms of new incidences, new cases of yeah. people coming down with HIV. And, and this is yeah. an issue that intersects with a lot of the things that we talk about mm-hmm. with the state of the youth, economics, mm-hmm. um, access to health care. Lack of educational opportunities. Yep. Criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just so much around this issue. So let's get started by talking about what Wayne suggested earlier that we ask ourselves, when did we first experience AIDS? And I'm going to let Wayne start and then I'll, I'll go. Yeah. Well, H, well, HIV. So, uh-huh. so there's some, so there's some things, you know, to kind of, kind of like ground rules for for discussing HIV, mm-hmm. you know, because 
we are in a very different place than we were. Yeah, I meant you know? to say HIV slash AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, but 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 for the audience as well, um, that's good to it's good to kind of go through that. So, you know, so you say HIV, not AIDS, and it's specifically because AIDS is a diagnosis. Yeah. So when you have HIV, um, you know, it's m- killing off some of your immune cells, specifically your mm-hmm. T cells. And once those drop below a certain threshold, then you can be clinically diagnosed as having AIDS, yeah. which is acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And so and so that's one thing that that I know HIV advocates are pretty are pretty strong about, you know, making it that makes distinction. Sense. Yeah, because they because you know, and I've met people, you know, who've been living with an AIDS diagnosis for decades. Yeah. You know, but you know, they're still alive. And, and in the end, it's not they, actually AIDS that kills you. It's yeah. something else. Yeah, because that your immune system can't fight off. That's yeah. one of the things I remember learning as a mm-hmm. young person. And that's and that's one of the situations that you know, they started that they noticed early on, you know, mm-hmm. back in the mid to late 80s was were that was that, you know, specifically gay men or just men who had sex with men in general were coming down with, you know, rare cases of cancer and diseases that, you know, young mm-hmm. people, quote unquote, weren't supposed to be like coming down with. And so and so that's how you get you know, people who die from things and it's not directly linked to their AIDS diagnosis, but, you know, you see all even now, yeah. because of the stigma, you still see, you know, well, cause of death was something like pneumonia or, mm-hmm. you know, a can- a, some form of cancer, but it's never, it, well, it's not often attributed to you know, the, the fact that that person may have had an AIDS diagnosis. Yes. So, so that's one of the big things is, you know, the difference is understanding the difference between HIV and the difference between AIDS. Um, another thing that people living with HIV want, want, want people to learn is to, to stop using, to stop medicalizing them so much. Yeah. You know, like using terms like infected or contagious or, or, or also just, you know, kind of otherizing the mm-hmm. whole HIV yeah. sphere. Because, I mean, someone living with HIV is pretty much able to live a normal well, life. Well, look at Magic um, Johnson. Well, not just well, not just Magic Johnson. You know, uh-huh. I mean, there are there are thousands of people, mm-hmm. at least in South Carolina, possibly millions now. I don't know about millions. That might be. Well, there's five million people, so it's probably a thousands. Yeah, very, maybe even hundreds of thousands. Yeah, who are living with HIV, and the only reason, the only way you would know is honestly if they told you. Yes. Because the medicines have certainly improved, and people, you know, are are doing their best to take mm-hmm. care of themselves. Uh, I know one of the big issues. That people living with HIV have is, is like this general like sense of fatigue, so they tire easily. But but that's it's like that's, any autoimmune disease yeah. or anything. So, but that's kind of some of what I uh-huh. took what I early on started learning from some of the other HIV advocates 
So, so let's tell tell you tell uh, tell the audience why you're particularly qualified to discuss this. Well, I'm a queer individual. I'm a queer male, and mm-hmm. I have sex with men. Yeah. Uh, like, as well, I uh, worked uh, for a couple of years with the South Carolina HIV Task Force, mm-hmm. which it which was an advocacy organization that was looking to amplify the concerns and voices of people living with HIV. My background is in, is in science. Like I majored in biochemistry in college yep. and and having a mother who was a journalist, you know, somewhat concerned for my health because you know, I have sex with men. She was always on me about are you well? You know, are you being safe? Mm-hmm. And and so the conversation... Sometimes even when you're safe, things can happen, though. True. Yeah, but um, but we, it was a conversation I've, I've been having since, like, almost, like, early high school. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. So, so let's get back to that question mm-hmm. that you told me that would be a good way to phrase it. Yeah. So, um, so, so the HIV advocate in particular, Denise Smith, she, like, she is an amazing individual, mm-hmm. and she blows my mind often when we're having conversations mm-hmm. uh, about HIV and and people's general knowledge. Mm-hmm. The reason why she asks the question, not how did you hear about HIV, or, like, what is your, like, do you know people? She starts off with, you know, what, like, she starts off with the question of, do you, like, what was your first experience with HIV? It's such a good question and an yeah. excellent way to phrase it. Yeah, because, you know, everybody's first experience is on a spectrum. Some people's first experience of HIV is finding out they have it. Yeah. You know, some people's first experience is in a sexual education class. Mm-hmm. And some people's first experience is they're hearing other people whisper about it yeah. you know? and and that in a way was kind of mine mm-hmm. um i'll i'll go ahead and tell you yeah. i'm a child of the 80s i grew up i was born in 1978 and i grew up in was in first grade in 1984 and the latter half of the 80s when D- ronald reagan was doing nothing to stop the mm-hmm. aids hiv crisis that was happening i was hearing about it on the news um, and it was something that was whispered about around my my community as well, because growing up in the South, people like to pretend that you don't have the gay relatives, but everybody has the gay relative, you mm-hmm. know, the gay male relative. And I remember being very concerned about my cousin because he was a young man in his 20s in the 80s. He's like 12 or so years older than me, so he's... He's 52 now, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just an incredibly scary time to grow up. Um, and I, I say that as a person who you hear about the on the news, you hear about the, the nurse who got the dental hygienist who got HIV from the dentist she was sleeping yeah. with. And um, or, how is that infecting? We're, this yeah. is a guy who's messing with your teeth. Yeah. There and were, what does yeah. that matter? Because I remember there being a famous case of uh-huh. uh, a young woman who was who contracted HIV from her dentist. Uh-huh. And I believe it was a case that either he was not using clean 
Yeah. Like work utensils or also him not wearing gloves. I can't remember yeah. like that situation uh, I, exactly, but yeah. And, and there were certainly issues with, you know, blood transfusions. Mm-hmm. And that's, an, that's another way I experienced it. My brother was born a preemie um, in 1980 mm-hmm. and he had as a bunch of surgeries and had a fair amount of like blood transfusions over the course of of his childhood and my parents had to get him tested Mm -hmm. because they didn't test for hiv in blood back then because Mm -hmm. they didn't have a test yeah as a child of the 80s and -hmm. you were also a child of the 80s yeah so you know what i'm talking about it seems like it was everywhere and nowhere at the same time and that was a place of fear where we lived yeah and i and i will say especially you know because in my experience I didn't hear anything. Really? Really? No. And and it was and it was and, and looking back on it, you know, it's I do find it probably interesting to some degree, but but I also wasn't really paying attention to news or mm-hmm. you know, trying to follow like adult I was an odd child and I was also very nosy. And that's okay. But <laughs> and, uh, but cuz like the big formative memory for me, I remember some of Reagan not wanting to say anything about it, but I certainly definitely remember when uh Rock Hudson I believe came out. Yeah. And formally and like made this like it was literally a press conference. And I can't remember what year it was. And it was to put a face on it with somebody. And I think it was like in 88 or 89 when he did that. And... The Brady dad also, I think. Yeah. And I was, you know, like, oh. Like, and and so that was my first, I think, real experience and, like, connection with, Mm -hmm. like, oh, there's this, like, biological disease and... All these people are dying from it. This is like the first real, like, open airing mm-hmm. of the of like the fact that this is happening and people. Well, you need know, to care. I, I I would say that it probably mm. coincided a little bit with the beginnings of the Pride movement as well, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Well. Well, and that's probably a longer conversation. Well, that's probably and what I'm gonna say is like that's probably a longer conversation about like uh-huh. queer liberation and queer yeah. culture and queer life in America. Yeah. Um because certainly in the I wanna say like thirties, forties, definitely in the fifties, yeah, in the sixties, people were often criminalized. Or, uh, they, they, or lost their jobs. And I can tell yeah, you that that happened. Yeah. So Wayne and I were just interrupted. But I was what I was telling Wayne about prior to getting off the conversation is that I had a um, high school chemistry teacher who lasted all of three days because he was arrested for exposing himself in public to at a known um, meetup location for men who slept with other men. Uh, he exposed himself to a cop. Oh. So discrimination still happened in the 90s is what I'm saying. Yeah, that, yeah that's one way some law enforcement actually would, would kind of aim to get arrests is to kind of, I guess, I guess the, the, the term is honeypot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
queer people, you know, in known places where, you know, they congregate. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of an old tactic, but yeah. It's like, apparently it still works. Or at least it did 20 <laughs> years ago. So I want to bring us back to what we were talking about before mm-hmm. we, we, we had this discussion about discrimination. Mm-hmm. Are people, do you think people are discriminated against because of their status, if it is known? Well, most often, from my from my experience, and and from and from the little bit that I've heard, is that you know most more often than not, some if someone is HIV positive, they really try to keep it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because there's a lot of stigma attached, but also often a, a sense of shame. Yeah. Whether whether it comes from them feeling shame that they acquired it or maybe they feel a sense of shame because mm-hmm. they think other people will look down on them but but the most often way I, I tend to see it happen is is like on a personal kind of level where you know if someone is open about their status there is a lot more difficulty in dating Mm-hmm. And relationship building in that sense, certainly and certainly in the gay male community, the queer male community, there's the whole thing that our, that our culture is coming to to grips with, with just the realities mm-hmm. of living with HIV, how to maintain your HIV negative status, mm-hmm. but if you do want to be in a relationship or engage in sex with someone who is HIV positive, taking all necessary precautions, not just for yourself, but also for them so that you are both communicating and and having a good, mm-hmm. healthy experience. And, and since this is a podcast about health care, let's talk about costs of drugs and availability and things that that have happened around there i know that you know a ton as a okay a a past advocate for the hiv task force (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so i mean the number one top number one like number that comes off the top of the head is just thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. a month there's and and even and even still there are some new drugs coming out where the drugs have either less side effects or it's one single tablet instead of, you know, taking three pills at a time. Uh, uh, pills, you know, that you can only need to take once a day rather than one in the morning, one at night kind of thing. Uh, so the medication has drastically improved. And there's a ton of side effects as well. There for well it depend well it depends on it depends on your regimen yeah uh, but it's certainly not as harsh as some of the uh, some of the older drugs okay. that people were using because a lot of times you know people were in a rush to save their lives and so they were almost they were willing to put their lives on the line to test yeah. the drugs and yeah. if it and didn't so save was, them it maybe would save the next guy yeah. And, and it's and it's certainly a situation where some of them yes were you know the living experiment yeah. you know and and there's still you know some issue as far as 
trying to understand, well, not trying to understand, but um, still some differences in the way that drugs interact with mm-hmm. men and also with women. Yeah. So, and so some of those That's differences true. need to get that, well, either we, more researched or... We, we live in a society, for lack of a better word, where the male body is the default. Yeah. And the white male body almost specifically is mm-hmm. the default and everybody else is the aberration. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lack of consideration when doing research, I think, for everyone else. So I can see where that would be a problem. I've read articles on it recently. Mm-hmm. Like they they find that their test subjects it doesn't work with this set of test subjects. Mm-hmm. They don't try it on anybody else. Yeah. It may work on because they have different yeah. body chemistry. And yeah. So, but the but the drugs are you know the drugs for mm-hmm. HIV are very effective. Yeah. You know, and ensure some someone's side effects may be a little different than someone else's, but um, again, not not my direct experience, but having had a lot of discussions mm-hmm. with you know people who are HIV positive. Who some of whom you know are, were old were are old enough to have taken some of those early drugs, yeah. and you know have a current present regimen. They they tell tell me that that experience was just like vastly different. Yeah, you know. But they're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're alive. A lot of people aren't. Well, that's true. Um, and and I think that that piece about not seeing not seeing and experiencing that kind of like an actual death of like a, a large segment of a generation yeah. I think is part of why we still don't view or, or maybe not view it but we don't understand that we are still in the midst yeah. of an epidemic and I, I would argue even a crisis yeah. Uh, because HIV isn't, even though it is a biological entity, it is a virus mm-hmm. that is passed, you know, from one person to another through bodily through fluids. Bodily fluids, which often is in the in the realms of sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that is true, because there are so many other issues that typically make contracting HIV worse, we're able to kind of segment that off. Yeah. And so what and and so specifically what I'm getting at is the fact that if you look at areas of poverty, that's typically one of the major indicators that this area might be, mm-hmm. you know, that well, that people living in this area might be more susceptible to contracting HIV. Um, you know, people, does that have an association with the level of uh, education and information yeah. that's available in those areas? Mm-hmm. To some degree, yes. And let's talk yeah. insurance. What happens to those people if they're so, uninsured? So, so this is so this is a good question uh, because also as a former Affordable Care Act navigator, so as some people know it as Obamacare. You know, I helped people navigate the online system and application process uh, to sign up for insurance. And I remember being told early on, if someone 
discloses to you that they are HIV positive, you can't work with them on their application. They need a specific individual who understands, you know, their drugs, their drug mm-hmm. needs, their drug prescription needs, and can work with them kind of like on that one-on-one basis. So, yeah. so I found that interesting um, at the time just because I figured we're just signing people up for insurance and mm-hmm. it, you know, people know what prescription drugs they need and, but, but lo and behold, I just, I just thought that was an interesting situation. Um, but it makes sense because there are several programs that are, uh, federally subsidized. Some run by the, some are, some are federally subsidized, but run by the state kind of like, Mm -hmm. uh, Medicaid is, you know, it's a federal program, but the state administers it. Some of those programs, ADAP, for instance, uh, which is the AIDS Drug Assistance Program. Uh, you have Ryan White, uh, which is a federal program, yeah. and that has, I, th- I think, like several parts to it. So you've got Ryan White Part A, Ryan White Part B, Ryan White Part, part C, and Part D. And if you grew up in the 80s, you would recognize Ryan White's name. Yeah. Um, he became sort of a poster child for the HIV crisis because he passed away through no fault of his own, as mm-hmm. they say. And I hate that phrase. I hate blaming people for their illnesses and don't think I'm doing that here. Yeah, because he acquired HIV through a blood transfusion. Yes. And after that was I, after that was known by people at the school that he was HIV positive, he began mm-hmm. experiencing discrimination in school. Yeah. And so uh, sometime after that became public and I believe in his family, of course, made an issue of it as they should have, mm-hmm. uh, there, that, uh, pro- that ended up producing legislation at the federal level, which is known as the Ryan White and, Act. And, and the irony is that it had been affecting other mothers' sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. For a lot longer, but because he was, for lack of a better word, the nice white child, action was taken by George W. Bush and Reagan. And and that program has you know saved so many lives. Yeah. So many so many people are grateful, and mm-hmm. that program is has continued to do so much amazing work. Yeah. Um, I, I please don't think I'm putting it down or anything. No, I just, no. I'm just trying to illustrate how issues yeah. tend to intersect, and that's a place where yeah, absolutely. It intersects. And, and and I'm just saying, I'm saying, I'm I'm just uh-huh. making sure that the audience is aware of this. Um, you know that the program has done very well. Uh-huh. It's 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 several parts. You know, kind of operate to do a few different things. So like Ryan White Part A is designated for like large metropolitan areas, mm-hmm. heavy urban settings. Ryan White Part B is geared a little more towards rural settings, a little less populated. Mm-hmm. And it is a very interesting fact that uh, all that m- the vast majority of Ryan White money that the state of South Carolina receives mm-hmm. is Part B. 
Yeah. And we don't receive any Part A funds. And I can't recall exactly what Part C is for, but I believe Ryan White Part D is specifically for prescription drugs. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and I didn't really know much about Ryan White or, or ADAP the, before mm-hmm. working as an HIV advocate. Mm-hmm. And I think to some degree it has to do with the fact that I am HIV negative, that I don't know about those yeah. programs. I don't make a connection with just how important, you know, us as just everyday citizens who pay our taxes, you know, that's where some of our money goes. Yeah. So yeah, so so that so some so, so there are definitely some federal programs that people living with HIV have certainly had to fight for, had to fight yeah. for because I don't know, I it, someone someone once said uh, something about people not shouldn't have to be victims mm-hmm. and and I know people with HIV certainly don't like to use that terminology to call amongst themselves but but some but but it goes back to the idea of, of of this individual who I once heard say something to the effect of it's the people who are most affected by an issue you know they shouldn't have to be their most ardent activists mm-hmm. and and they and they, and it's something about it and there's something about that that isn't exactly right. Yeah. You know, it it shouldn't take you it shouldn't it shouldn't take you acquiring HIV to care about the issue. Oh, of course not. You know, that's And it shouldn't take your best friend acquiring it for you to care about the issue. Exactly. Either. Um there was recently uh, a summit uh, for Ren the mm-hmm. Women's Rights Empowerment, Empowerment Network, Network mm-hmm. had a summit and the co-chair of the South Carolina Dream Team and Social Justice Coalition, of which I am a part right now, that the work that we're doing is attempting to change the felony statute for... Yes, I wanted to talk about that as well. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it so, up. So we'll, so we'll get to that. But but one of the things that she, she said on the panel uh, on uh, economic discrimination and was the fact that is that HIV is an issue that you care about you just don't know it yet. Yeah. And one of the and one of the things that she said that set off a light bulb in a lot of people's heads in the room and it was really really great is she asked, you know, how many of you want to be grandparents? How many of you just want to be parents? Mm-hmm. Well, that in and of itself is going to take you having unprotected sex with somebody yeah and that that and that's that's your that's your vector for risk right there mm-hmm. you know um, and, and 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 i just kind of heard like light bulbs going off in yeah. people's heads because you know so often because you can't guarantee yeah, safety yeah you know because so often people who are hiv negative aren't only only think of it as oh well that's more likely to happen to somebody else mm-hmm. or or H, or there's still for some reason the idea that gay people mostly get HIV that is so not true it, it is very not it is very not true but because you know like I said HIV acquisition tends to track in largely urban low-income communities and especially among people of color yeah 
that it's seen again as like someone else's someone else's disease, problem someone and, else's problem yeah it's the other scenario but that's not how it works yeah like human beings have sex sometimes they don't protect themselves but yeah. it's a natural instinct for human beings to want to do so so yeah. it it does not track that it would stick necessarily to one demographic which is what i remember people you know there was a whole lot of the fruits of your sin mm-hmm. going on from the Baptists when I was growing up, uh, which I was Baptist. Uh, so y'all should know that I I heard those things, not necessarily from the pulpit, but while I was sitting in church listening to the old ladies talk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just, it's messed up Yeah, that it, a disease that was hurting human beings mm-hmm. got labeled, for lack of a better word, as God's punishment. Yeah. And that's something that I know in South Carolina that, you know, people like Harriet Hancock mm-hmm. and Bambi Gaddis have had to, like, they're some of like the biggest movers and shakers in educating communities and assisting people living with HIV. And I'm certain that they had to deal with you know, those kinds of arguments, people who held those beliefs sincerely, uh, especially back when they were doing some of their work in, you know, mm-hmm. the 80s and early 90s. Without without either of them, we wouldn't have had the South Carolina HIV AIDS Council. We wouldn't have had uh, PALS, mm-hmm. uh, Palmetto AIDS Life Support Services. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and they do, I think, a, f- a very large amount of testing in our in in the city of Columbia, and then of course you have the AIDS Healthcare Foundation uh, in Columbia as well, and they have I think a couple locations around the state. Yeah, and they just recently got a mobile unit that can so travel they can go to, to the rural, rural areas. areas. That's so good. Yeah. Pamplico, again, y'all have heard me mention on the podcast before, is my hometown. And I remember hearing talk about how it was higher per capita than other places with the diagnosis. And again, it's because it was a low-income, mostly mm-hmm. African-American, black community. Yeah. And I mean, and that's in, I mean, and it's the same story that repeats kind of just in, in pockets all over the state. And, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and it's unfortunate. And I think to some degree... It, it has to do with a lack of comprehensive sex, sex education, education. Mm-hmm. where, you know, I think right now we pretty much just teach abstinence. And if we teach students about HIV, it's largely in the context of... And a sexually transmitted disease like yeah. gonorrhea or mm-hmm. herpes or whatever. Yeah, and it's basically, you know, uh-huh. don't get it, always wear protection, but there's never really... What happens? Like a deeper discussion yeah. about you will live... Uh-huh. If you acquire HIV, your life will change. You know. But you will live. It's not a, yeah. it's not a death sentence anymore. Um, yeah. I knew people who died mm-hmm. of AIDS in the 80s. Yeah, and I, think, and I think part of why we're still seeing, you know, upwards of, I think somewhere on average of like 700 mm-hmm. to 780 new yeah. uh HIV positive diagnoses diagnoses has to do with the fact that we don't have a 
consistent and like across the board testing regimen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I had a friend who confided in me that, you know, she had gone to her OBGYN or gyne- no, no, her gynecologist, not her obstetrician. No. Well, they're they're she they're the same doctor. doctor in a lot of times. <laughs> well, yeah, I, from yeah. from one woman to um, uh, someone who does not go to those doctors. No, I just I just know that they're different. I just know they're just different doctors. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it. Uh, that's what. Yeah, anyhow, uh, but she went to her gynecologist and you know asked for like a full screening of all STDs, and she had to uh, you know actively say test for HIV as well. And the, do- uh-huh. and the person said, well, you don't need that. Like, and she had to, again, you know, assert herself, you know, you don't know that. That's why I'm asking for everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that was one of the things that I thought, you know, in, in the course of my work, that that should have been, been like one of like my major focuses was, you know, why aren't we doing HIV testing as, quite frankly, a part of, just the regular blood work. physical examination. Yeah. And you know, in fact, how often do you think people should get tested? Well, so the general rule of thumb is get tested every year. Uh-huh. Uh, for people who are at a higher possibility of perhaps Risk. acquiring HIV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so like myself, I get tested... And have gotten tested like almost every three months since mm-hmm. I was about eighteen, and that's because and I I, and I feel like a little a little odd saying this on the podcast, but I have I I like I have a high number of sexual partners, um, and 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 even if and even just like that's you not do just you me as, as they say. Well, and that's not just a personal. That's just not a personal individual thing. Uh-huh. You can you can actually go check out the data. You know, queer men have more sex than just about any other category of person. Uh-huh. It's just it's it's not me. You know, tooting a horn or anything. But um, good for you is what I want to say. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll take that compliment. But uh-huh. uh, but yeah, so I get tested about every three months, mm-hmm. and that's just a schedule that I'm. That I'm now just used to, and I just see it as you know if, a part of my healthcare regimen. Yeah, if if someone were say afraid mm-hmm. that they they may be HIV positive or having have had relationship, where would they go to get tested if so, um, they're lower income or yeah. can't so otherwise DHEC, afford it? So so DHEC, all their facilities, I believe, have. I think it's like a ten dollar fee, mm-hmm. uh, but there are organizations throughout the state uh, that will do HIV testing for free. Mm-hmm. Um, can and, we get some links that I can put in the show notes so I can? Uh, yeah, you can definitely check out DHEC's website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in the Low Country, the biggest one is Low Country. No, I'm sorry. They changed their name. So they are Palmetto Community Care. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also uh, Hope Health. uh, And some of the low country, there's AIDS Upstate. Yeah. Um, And I think out towards or I know there's an an organization called Little Little River. uh, And there's, I think there's another one or two. 
mm-hmm. out in that like upstate PD region. But but those are some of like the yeah. main ones I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I'll I'll um, I'll look them up and even, I will put even, them in the show notes. Yeah, there's even one in Fairfax, uh-huh. uh, South Carolina. Um, I can't remember. Can't pull that name out of my head just at the moment, but it's like around the corner from the uh-huh. hospital. Yeah. So, but that's but that's all to say is that there are places where people can get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I would love for pe- for people, especially young people, to to take an interest just in their health. I mean, we we are because we are we are part of the beginning of a generation. You and I. You know, we're older millennials and, you know, we have siblings and cousins who are much younger than us in a whole different environment. Amen. But, you know, we as young people need to be aware, much like our elders, that our health is important. And as well, there there shouldn't have to be a world where there is where you almost equate like sex with like the sensation of fear. Yeah. You know. And and for a long time when it comes to sexually transmitted diseases like HIV and other things that mm-hmm. that have caused issues, hepatitis is one of the ones I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um there was a culture of fear around it. Mm-hmm. Um Well, and and one of the things that's even Interesting just in terms of like the United States and its kind of like history with sexually transmitted infections, especially has to do with the fact that in times of war, mm-hmm. you know, like World War One, World War Two, there were these whole massive campaigns about, you know, taking care those. of your sexual health. You know, avoiding gonorrhea and syphilis, which are both... Well, in in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, during World War II, um, they would inspect the brothels Mm -hmm. that were around there and get people... Yeah. Well, and so that's that's kind of... so, So that's kind of, you know, illustrating my point is the fact that when we saw it as a national security issue that mm-hmm. soldiers would acquire sexually transmitted infections yeah. and possibly bring them back to their communities. Our nation was up in arms around educating and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure people were tested and knew how to, knew how to look for symptoms. And yet with HIV, where are we on that? I mean, the the sometime after I think it was within a year of the Trump administration coming into office, the presidential council on HIV and AIDS was disbanded. Was disbanded. Like mm-hmm. I personally know at least one of the people who was on that council, and they just kind of threw up their hands. I mean, our president is literally on tape. Not understanding the difference between HPV and HIV. Yeah, bless his heart. And um, and then with our state, it, you know, the state of South Carolina not expanding Medicaid. Ah, good. We're going there now. Because with our state not expanding Medicaid, how can we really do the effective sexual health education 
and and, and, and triaging the, the some, issue, even yeah, some for of lack- the preventative, yeah, not just treatment, but some of the just like the well, just like the let, let's bring care. us to prep. Mm-hmm. Prep is covered under the ACA. Am I wrong? So, so the specific drug is Truvada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Truvada is covered under our state's current Medicaid program. Okay. So let's 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 stop for a minute and tell the people what that is. Okay. So PrEP is stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Uh, it's pretty much described as a strategy, um, as you know, you use condoms, you know your status, you you know know the status of the other people with whom you're engaging in mm-hmm. sexual relationships with, and it's a, it's ba- it's essentially your prevention strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. And so that is another medication uh, that if you believe you've been exposed, and I, I don't want to really say exposed, but, it, but if you think that you may have had a sexual experience and you either don't know the person's so status. HIV status or you suspect mm-hmm. that you may have, you know, Mm-hmm. had sex with someone who has who is HIV positive, PEP is something that you can take within 72 hours of that encounter and that will prevent the that will prevent HIV from replicating and like finding, you know, a ground. So so tell me about Truvada. So Truvada was developed I believe sometime in the mid 2000s. Uh, I know it was definitely approved and was started to be sold and available, I think, within, like, by 2014. Mm-hmm. I, I would appreciate a fact check on that. I, but, I'll fact check it and put it in the show notes. Yeah, but it's definitely been around for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tru- what Truvada does is it essentially, it essentially acts as a birth control but for HIV. Mm-hmm. So it is a pill that HIV negative people take every day. It's a once daily pill. And it is like over 95% effective. It's, That's amazing. It pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and so that's... It's, it's what all the research was leading up to for years and years and years. Yeah. And as well... For people who are HIV positive, uh, research was done, um, and the largest study, I believe, was the partner study. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the conclusions out of that is that essentially, if you are if you are HIV positive, and you have a viral load that is undetectable, you are unable to transmit uh-huh. the virus. And, and so for people living with HIV, that is kind of their game changer. Yeah. Because, they're, because they live, you know, in so much fear of transmitting, of transmitting and, and HIV. And let's talk about some of those consequences that yeah. came into law during the 90s. Yeah. So... So yeah, so so people living with HIV are so afraid of transmitting HIV that for them to to now learn that 
if they maintain a viral load that is undetectable mm -hmm. in their lab results, that they are unable to transmit it. That's and, that's got to be know, freeing. Yeah, and for and for some people, you know, that's something that they kind of suspected mm -hmm. because you know they're people, they live their lives, and and they know they haven't transmitted HIV to anybody. They're very, you know, yeah, aware of that, and so. I'm, and so it's just really, really cool that that information has been found, and mm -hmm. and now it's just more of a matter of, of just like telling the world, yeah, which which is happening, which we're trying to do here, yeah. And and what and what you're getting to is the the criminal statute that actually exists in South Carolina. That was enacted first in the law in 1988. Yep. And it was updated to its present language in 1992, which says that if you are HIV positive and you know you are HIV positive, you must disclose your status to whomever you are engaging in a sexual relationship, relationship with, with uh -huh. you know, however long that lasts. But the thing about it is, one, the lived experience of people who are HIV positive is that they don't want to transmit this. Yeah. You know, to anyone else. And as well, how do you go about telling someone that you are HIV positive and they, under, and they understand that and they are still consenting to have sex with you? You actually have to document that. Yeah, yeah. Whether in some kind of like written statement Text. or <laughs> video. Yeah. And I mean, it, we live in the 21st century, you know. It, there's all kinds of anonymous or, oh, we're just going to like have sex this one time and I'll never see this person again. Uh -huh. Situations are... Are people really going to go through that whole process, all that process, you know, mm -hmm. for, you know, maybe uh, a couple hours of a situation? Yeah. Ah, Wayne's winking at us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but I mean, yeah. but it's, but it's a real question because, yeah. you know, people, especially people who are HIV negative, don't think about those kinds of things. Yeah. I, I remember it, when it, that law came into yeah. to being. And, th and then the fact that there is... The law, you know, it, because the thing about the law is that it doesn't matter what kind of sex you have. It doesn't matter whether or not you use protection. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if the person who is HIV positive is undetectable. Yeah. It is the simple act of if you know you have HIV, then you must disclose it to yeah. your sexual partner. I, I think that's a law that we don't need. Well, but the rub is, think about it this way. Okay. The vast majority of people who transmit HIV to other people don't know they're HIV positive. Of course. And so really, how effective is the law? It, but it's not. I mean, I've... Are I've, we put, have we put anybody in jail for that? So I put together a chart a, a, a while ago. Uh, I think it went from about 2014 to 2017. And at most, in a single year, there were 12 cases specifically under the criminal charge of exposing another to HIV. 
of those 12 cases, nine of them, I believe, were did not go forward. It's uh-huh. called like not null pros, apparently. Yeah. Um, they were just kind of thrown out. Uh, and I spoke, and, and in the course of doing some of the research, you know, to, to create that graphic, uh, an assistant solicitor that I talked to uh, mentioned that a lot of times those cases don't move forward because the person who was quote unquote the victim is actually doesn't see themselves as a victim. Yeah. They like often no transmission has occurred. Um, that person doesn't want to, you know, their name to be associated with that case. Uh-huh. And so the law isn't even really working as well as yeah. it's intended. You know, and often what it will come down to is, you know, someone going to law enforcement and just making that statement. And then, you know, the person who that statement was made against is, you know, got to somehow, like, defend themselves uh-huh. against that charge. And so it becomes more of, like, one one party said one thing versus another. Yeah. So yeah. So let's sort of wrap this up now. Um, what is one thing that we should be telling the youth in South Carolina mm-hmm. that they should be doing? Well, thing one, don't get tattoos at house parties. No. Yeah. Like, if you're going to get a tattoo, get it in the sterile environment, which means go to a tattoo shop. Yeah, and and at one point in time, tattoos were illegal in 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 South Carolina for you Gen Zers out there. That yeah. hasn't even been that long ago. Yeah, I re- I remember that a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and so that's thing one because you know I, we've we've had a lot of discussion about you know sex and acquiring HIV that way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's blood to it's blood to blood. It, you, we you should know. also add piercings to this probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. You know, sterile. Yeah. So, so people doing body modifications, uh-huh. you know, that equipment needs to be sterile and done by someone who knows how to do that process yep. st- in a sterile environment. And so that would be one giant thing. You know, uh-huh. if you're going to get body modifications, get it from, you know, a reputable source or business. Yeah. You know, not just house parties. Because, I mean, there was even a situation where that's how hepatitis got passed around. Yep. You know. Um, big thing number two, you know, make HIV testing a regular part of your health care. You know, um, your your doctor might kind of look at you funny. You know, but the, but that's but that's another thing that we, we have to, we, you know, we, yeah. kind of reform is... Is you no know, doctor's personal expectations and beliefs versus their professional like obligations. Obligations, yep. You know, no one should no one should feel ashamed or you know scared to tell their doctor something. Mm-hmm. You know, and sp- and especially when it comes to your sexual health and asking for a- an STD test and you know an STI test, and so. And so make, make, make knowing your status, you know, a part of your health care, you know, get tested, 
at least once a year. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel that you are going to have, you know, multiple sexual partners. Maybe do it a little you know, more often. Yeah. yeah. You know, a couple of times a year, maybe three. Um, that, so that's, that's thing number two. Thing number three is make sure you are educating yourself on the issue of HIV just just period because and I'm sure you experienced this growing up too but I know when I was growing up uh-huh. most of the information I learned about sex and and you know just sexual health wasn't really in the classroom oh, it no. was with other children of <laughs> it was course with other of course kids, and if, you know. if if your parents to young children you can never start these conversations too early yeah you know and so and so that would be thing number three is uh-huh. educate yourself so that you can be you know that voice of reason that you know that people actually talk to you know because you know and it, is, it was really interesting being in 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 that space and in that field with other H- with other HIV advocates, you know, some who were HIV positive, some who were HIV negative, but some of the things that they would do for their kids and their, you know, younger relatives, you know, to be that point of contact uh-huh. for factual information and, you know, condoms condoms if they needed them. Yep. Like that that should be Ideally, in my mind, the world that we live in. Hmm. So, I agree. So those, would, so those would be the big three takeaways for anybody listening to this episode is, you know, get your body modifications done. Safely. Safely and with someone reputable. Uh-huh. Uh, educate yourself. And, and, and be get that, tested. And be that factual uh, entity in people's lives. And, yeah, and also get tested just, just to know your status. Yeah. Knowledge is power, y'all. Yeah. I mean, that's that's always been my philosophy. Um, the more you know, the more you can help others. So thank you for being here today, Wayne. And um, happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. <laughs> All right. One more thing before I go. Like, here is our social media um, information. We are on Facebook at SCNLP. Um, if you just do Facebook.com slash SCNLP, you'll find us. We're at Twitter, on Twitter at SC underscore New Legacy, and Instagram is the same. And we can be emailed at South Carolina New Legacy Project at gmail.com. Also, our next meeting will be next Wednesday, not this coming one, but May 1st. And May Day. May Day. And we're going to have. Um, some fun activities there. I believe we're going to do a movie night where we will be screening Where is Democracy? So come and join us for a movie night. Bring a snack and and, and we look forward to seeing you. Also, follow our social media for more information on that. Um, location and time to be announced. Welcome back to the South Carolina New Legacy podcast. I'm Vicki and I'm here today with Glendian McKenneth and Wayne. Mm-hmm. And Glendian wants to talk from a person who's a bit older about her experiences with HIV. So I'm going to just let Glendian take off. And I may well, interrupt with questions. Well, thank you. Um, first, I thought about um, health scare. 
and being a, a young woman back in some time ago, some times ago, the first health care health scare that I experienced is when herpes came out. So everybody panicked, saying, "Oh my God, we got the herpes!" To the mic. So we was running to the clinics to get tested for herpes, and it wasn't all that it was drummed up to be like we thought we was gonna die. And then came the AIDS, and from my experience. Um, I had a, a boyfriend. He was my very first boyfriend. Uh, I think I was 16. And um, he had me about two years. And there was uh, some, uh, some gay guys. It was, it was real fabulous. And they hung in the neighborhood. And my boyfriend started uh-huh. to, to date them. Now, um, And so he was bisexual. So I was aware of his relationship with them. And um, and then with us, sometimes all of us just hung out together. Well, then my boyfriend started using drugs, um, needles. Uh-huh. So he went to prison, kept going to prison. So, you know, I kind of kind of like moved on. And every time I would come home, he just happened to be out of jail. Well, he came to me the first. He's the first person I know that had HIV. And when it first came out, it seems to me that they made it seem like it was a gay thing. So uh-huh. everybody that was using needles and coming into all other different types of blood contact, mm-hmm. they felt that they were safe because it was like, oh, it's a gay thing, you know, it's not mm-hmm. for the straight guys. So, but it wasn't. So by by people believing that it was just a gay thing, it gave the disease time to really spread of course. throughout the communities. Uh, so um, he ended up with it. And he came to me one day when coming home from, from prison, and he says, um, you know, I'm HIV. He says, now I have AIDS. Well, he eventually passed away. Yeah. But in the meantime, I have two brothers. Mm-hmm. Two brothers. Um, one came home from Vietnam uh-huh. um, on heroin, which that was an epidemic during that time in the 60s. Yes. Um, I, I had uncles and cousins. That was their way of, I think the, the drug was just a way that, they put it there to destroy the communities because just before uh-huh. Vietnam ended, our corners, and I grew up in North New Jersey, was filled with Black Panther men uh-huh. that I was so proud of because they'd stand on the corners and, hey, sister, hold your head up high and things like that. And then when the war ended, uh-huh. all of a sudden I looked around and I kept, I just seen the brothers nodding. I was like, what in the world happened? Every corner just had someone, you know, barely standing up. Yeah. So my brother came home, and he was on hearing, uh, which he explained to me that in, in, in the service, they actually gave you methadone or something to just keep you calm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So a lot of people came out addicted. Yeah. So he was he was um, on the hearing, and he ended up with, with AIDS. Um, and then my younger brother also, which I had no idea that he was an intravenous user, which later on I found them to always share needles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we had two in the household uh-huh. that actually had AIDS, not just HIV. They went to AIDS and they both they both passed. Yeah. Um, they say AIDS related, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, you know it, it it hurts them, it kills yeah. them. So and then after all of that, I've been married twice. And my second husband was from Africa. He was from Guinea, Guinea-Bissau. I was crazy about this man. Mm-hmm. And so we hooked up in New York, and and I met him. 
and we used to hang out and go out a lot, and I just fell madly in love with this man. Uh-huh. So we ended up getting married. So he wanted to get become a full citizen of the United States, so we applied for him to get a green card. Uh-huh. Now, even after losing a dear boyfriend, two brothers in the household mm-hmm. within a year of each other, I still did not put it in my head that I should be tested. Yeah. That I should be careful. Mm-hmm. So then I met my husband, and we get married. I was crazy over him. And so now I'm like, oh, I'm married now, you know? So I don't have to worry about protection. Yeah. You know, we are one-on-one with each other, you know? So I don't have to worry about that anymore. So he goes to the doctor and get a complete exam. Mm-hmm. To enter the country, they do a thorough exam. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming home from work, and I had to go to the bathroom real bad. I mean, I had held my bladder all the way on the subway home from New York to Newark, <laughs> to East Orange, New Jersey. Uh-huh. So he's already home. I run in the house, and I sit down, and, psst, and he says, Honey, what is this thing called HIV? And my Peter stopped. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and that's a hard thing to do, to stop in the yeah. middle of, of you know, mm-hmm. urinate. I'm like, what? Everything is shut off. And he says, yes, the doctor say I have HIV. I, I can't get into America with that. And I'm like, what? So it was funny how education was important. He had absolutely no idea what this was. Mm-hmm. And AIDS has infected Africa, like, throughout. You yes. know, so it's kind of funny how I was mad at first. I was like, what do you mean you don't know what that is? And speaking of a doctor, the next day, I text the letter, and I went flying to the doctor's office, and she was just leaving. And when she seen me, she must have knew what I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. She ran and jumped in her car and locked the door like oh, I was goodness. coming to kill her or I was infected. Yeah. You know, she seen me, and she just ran, jumped in her car and locked the door and said, no, 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 can't talk to you, you know. And, it, and that hurt me so bad. So I came on back home, and... I said, well, it does not matter what you have. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. And so, of course, I had to get tested. And I get tested every two years from Mm -hmm. that point on. And it's been about 10 years. Yeah. But I still go get tested every two years. And it's funny how um, the different relationships that I have when I meet someone new, I'll be like, well, uh, you're not going nowhere. You don't go swimming without your rubber boots on. I was like, oh, baby, I ain't with nobody but you. But who, who listens to that? And it's yeah. like, why is you guys still saying that? All females. It's just me and you, baby. But I tell them, listen, this is just to It's not only to protect me. It's mm-hmm. to protect you. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know. I don't know what you did before, you know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what I did before. Uh-huh. You know exactly. what I mean? So I just wanted to share that, guys. We, we really yeah. appreciate it, Glendian. Um, because I think lived experiences are important Mm -hmm. for the learning and and listening. So thank you for sharing. um, And I do go to that clinic that you mentioned. Well, it's not really a clinic. It's a health health thing. Um, Little River, we have one Mm -hmm. down um, North Uh Myrtle Beach. Yeah. um, And close to my home, which is lower South Carolina, which has a high HIV epidemic. Mm -hmm. For some reason, that particular part of the country, like Pamplico, Ainer, Mm -hmm. all that part of the country, it's higher than than normal. Well, really, it's it's the South in general, Mm -hmm. like as a region. Um, And I mean, it it kind of stretches, you know, from Texas all the way here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it's in places where, you know, there isn't a culture of people mm-hmm. accessing healthcare. Um, one of the major issues that surprised me that people living with HIV talked about was the fact that transportation yes. is mm-hmm. such an issue. And, and I, you know, and so when I have that conversation, when I have the conversation about, you know, HIV and how affecting it is, transportation is the thing that often comes up because people, especially in rural areas. Mm-hmm. It's an intersection, right? Like, yeah. Can't get to appointments, you know, may not have anybody to take them to or from appointments. Mm-hmm. And it, the testing is free and you get the results back in like five minutes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. And yeah. I, I wanted to mention this when you was talking about educate, education. Mm-hmm. When I got um, pregnant in high school, I was 17 and entering my last year of high school. Uh-huh. And um, no one told me anything. Um, I was four months pregnant by the time my mama said, you pregnant? So I should have been going to the wow. doctors in prenatal care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, she was like, now here go another one having a baby and didn't finish school. So uh, I ran into a girlfriend, and she said, you're pregnant. And she said, you better take your behind to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood actually saved my life. Oh, really? It, it gave a, a it, it, it first it started off giving you an educational class about sex and your uh-huh. body and health. So it taught me so much, even how to keep my teeth and my mouth clean. Uh-huh. You know, they, they sent me to a dentist, and then uh, I ended up being a dental assistant because dentist, he was very nice. He said, you have nice teeth, but if you don't brush them, you're going to lose them all because you're going to get in the <laughs> gum, gum. You know, I was skipping day. I was yeah. a teenager. Uh-huh. And so... Um, they taught me everything about the body and the taking care of the baby and, and even, you know, your, your, your menstrual cycle. Uh-huh. So then moving along, my mama had, we were six of us girls, so and we was teenage having babies. Mm-hmm. So here is, we, she ended up, we ended up with a whole batch of kids. Yeah. So when they got between, the youngest was 10 and the oldest was 15. Uh-huh. I scooped them all up. I was like, come on, guys. I'm taking y'all to Planned Parenthood. Uh-huh. So my mother was like, now she's too young to be going. You only telling them it's okay to have sex. And I said, but That's mama, they need to be works. educated. Uh-huh. And so, you know, going to the to the um, Planned Parenthood was the best educated than sitting here with your auntie or, you know, your grandma uh-huh. telling you, oh, you don't do this and that and that and that. So they get to watch films and go through all type of birth controls and uh-huh. safe sex things. So I scooped them all up, and we all went down to Planned Parenthood, and it helped. It helped so much. Yeah. So, you know, I'm an advocate for Planned Parenthood. Uh, same. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really, really do appreciate you agreeing to chat with us today, Glendian. Um, let's chat soon again. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm excited about you graduating soon from from Coastal Carolina. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Y'all have a great day. And again, May 1st is our next meeting. Look for us on our social media.